In this episode of Octal FM, we discuss our two favourite games from one of our favourite series of all time, The Legend of Zelda. Hello and welcome to another episode of Octal FM. I'm Gelada. And I'm Sefran. And today we're going to discuss our favourite Zelda game, which is kind of surprising that we haven't yet already discussed this. Yeah, considering our bias towards Nintendo products. Yeah, I mean, our second episode was about Zelda. I talked about Twilight Princess HD. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just kind of funny that we haven't actually talked about our favourite or, or what we think is the best. And actually, we when we were discussing this, we were trying to decide, do we want to talk about which Zelda game we think is technically the best in that sort of like, you know, argument style, a little bit like we did with our best ever Elder Scrolls. But maybe we'll sort of save that for a future episode. And instead, we kind of want to talk about our favorites a little bit. Mm -hmm. And we sort of had to go out of our way to make a little bit of a discussion on this because we both sort of started thinking about it. And then we like came to the conclusion that we both sort of had the same favorite. Yeah, definitely the one that I think is perhaps the most technically the best and is your kind of favourite is Wind Waker, right? Like, that's, yeah, definitely. For the sake of sort of discussion, yeah. um, we're not <laughs> we're not going to talk about Wind Waker. But we do love Wind Waker and it's an absolutely fantastic game. Mm. And yes, it's technically not the best because it has quite a lot of flaws with things like it's, uh, it's sort of like second and third act is like really elongated with that whole trifle shard hunting yeah which they did address in the wii u remake didn't they yes they did but it was still not ideal yeah. but overall i just i love the game because i love the atmosphere of it um mm. i love the music mm. and it just feels really good but no uh, so we decided that we weren't going to talk about that and another sort of caveat to the discussion is that i haven't at all played breath of the wild and you've like very briefly touched it and watched tony play it haven't you yeah, I've I've seen it, but I have not played it at all. Um, so I, yeah, that's definitely doesn't come into this discussion, which we could do maybe yeah. in future if we if we definitely. do end up playing uh, playing it because mm. it is supposed to be absolutely fantastic, but yeah. uh, we we don't know. Yeah, exactly. So with that in mind, our two sort of favorites that we want to talk about. Well, mine is Ocarina of Time. Oh, the fanboy choice, uh, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and whereas um, I kind of went for a little bit more of a black sheep choice, which was uh, Majora's Mask. Mm. And we sort of came to that conclusion because we both really like those games, but it's also they have like a little bit of a, a tie in history with each other um, beyond the fact that they're both just Zelda games and the most mainline Zelda games as well, as opposed to like spin-offs yeah. or anything. There's a lot of really interesting history behind that whole section of, of Zelda games because in between Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask, you have that unreleased uh sort of downloadable contents if you like or yeah we loadable contents with yeah. the um with the sort of uru zelda this like there was a so ocarina of time was a game for the nintendo 64 mm-hmm. and the nintendo 64 had an unreleased disc drive the n64 dd yeah yeah and you could put it underneath the n64 the nintendo 64 and it had an extra disk drive and it had a load of extra processing capabilities. And, you know, I remember reading all about it at the time. Mm. And and one of the things they were going to have was they were going to sort of have this like a 
like expansion to Ocarina of Time, where if you had Ocarina of Time and the disk drive, you could insert a disk into it. And it's not really it. When we say disk, we don't mean like compact disk. We mean um, they were like really thick sort of like disk cartridge things, weren't they? They were yes. kind of odd. Yeah. But the the, the, the plan of uh, releasing sort of this updated and sort of like interesting new version of Ocarina of Time after it's such massive success kind of ended up becoming what was the Master Quest which was yes. later released as part of a kind of like a, I don't know, like almost promotional disc if you bought certain copies of Wind Waker on the GameCube. Yeah, it was it was released as like you could play both Ocarina of Time and Master Quest on an extra disc that came with Wind Waker. And then there was also Master Quest on the 3DS because they re-released Ocarina of Time on the 3DS, which we'll come to a bit in a minute. Um, and... That also came with a Master Quest, but actually that was just, they mirrored it and they made it so that all the enemies did double damage. And that was right. all it was. Everything else was yeah. the same. Um, so that yeah. Master Quest that was on GameCube is kind of lost uh, in the sense that you can only play it on that. And that was sort of from that sort of desire to add like more to this massive game. Yeah. But instead they they, they, they kind of, it was a combination of the fact that the disk drive didn't do too well. And I think also the creators were sort of unhappy with the relative unoriginality of it. Yeah. So they decided that they wanted to do something with a little bit more purpose and a little bit more creativity involved, which is kind of where uh, Majora's Mask came from. Yeah. And that's kind of evident from the fact that Majora's Mask was, I think it was about a year's worth of development uh, and was released about a year and a half between after the release of Ocarina of Time, which when you consider how most Zelda games have quite a long time period between the mainline mm. releases, like not including like the spin-off things for like uh, kind of the handheld devices. Um, you know, there's usually like four or five del- years delay between each game. This was just a year and a bit, which is, you know, ridiculous when you think about it. But, I mean, to, to get there, Majora's Mask did reuse a lot of assets from Ocarina of Time. Uh, it runs on exactly the same engine. So if you played Ocarina of Time, you, you were already familiar with the game when you booted it up. And used a lot of the same art assets and music and... Even some of the items are exactly the same as well. Yeah, Like, I don't imagine they've even changed them in the slightest. And there's probably a lot of unused code from Ocarina of Time hiding out in Majora too. I can well imagine, yeah. And the, the, interestingly, I, I haven't written this down, but one of the things is that they almost use this to their advantage in the sense that, like, it was supposed to be sort of like an offbeat version of Hyrule sort of thing. Yes. And that sort of played into the whole more surreal aspect of Majora's Mask being set in this, not alternate, Tight, like universe because it was I don't know it's supposed to be in the same place but it's sort of like this weird offbeat version of Hyrule yeah Link falls into sort of like a weird kind of parallel world and that's the sort of yeah. vague ex- vague hand wavy excuse for why everything looks the same <laughs> sort of the same yeah I think <laughs> slash you, we were you, using you had really cool sort of um conspiracy theories over the time like the idea is like this is actually Link's purgatory or something which is why everyone he, he's met in his his life so far is here but playing different people and because it's all in his head sort of thing anyway that's not the point of the episode we could do an episode on <laughs> zelda conspiracies that'd be interesting but yeah but despite the fact that it, it was released so quickly after ocarina of time and it uses so much of the same sort of assets the games are really different like mm. really really different because i mean i mean ocarina of time is well i mean what is ocarina of time it's it's a classic isn't it if you, th- if you think about where both of these games, but o- obviously Ocarina of Time was the first one, where they fit into 
the timeline of Zelda games, you know, prior to this, you had all of the, you know, the 2D Zelda games. So, um, you know, the original on the NES and and the second one, which was kind of a side scrolling Zelda game um, and Link to the Past and Link's Awakening and stuff like that. They were all 2D. And so Ocarina of Time was the first foray into 3D for Zelda. And also really kind of like the first of its kind in in many ways, not just for Zelda, but in general for Nintendo. You know, like they've done Super Mario 64, which is a 3D platformer, but Ocarina of Time, it is in that really early stages of 3D games. Mm. And to make such a big... You know, Zelda games were always big. So to then take that and say, okay, we're going to make that 3D, you know, is such a huge feat to achieve and to try and achieve. Yeah, it was a lofty goal. You know, and and people didn't really know what to expect to some extent, I think. I remember that one of the things that video game magazines and so on focused on really heavily at the time was that there was no jump button and that link was going to auto jump when you walked off a platform and because this this was was really weird yeah because this was like early days of 3d it was like how can you do that how can you make a game a 3d game that doesn't have a jump like are you crazy but that was (laughs) completely fine and it and it worked worked brilliantly but it's weird things like that, like decisions that they were making like that were like for the first time, you know, they were deciding to do these to do that kind of thing. Yeah, well, it's interesting because that era of gaming, particularly the N64, was a bit of a trendsetter mm. uh, for a long time. Like, I mean, how many games basically copied Super Mario 64? Yeah. You know, exactly. and a lot of kind of action adventure games did take a lot of beats from Ocarina of Time. Yeah, exactly. Um, sort of like that camera system and the lock-on system, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, yeah, the Z targeting, you know, the, the way the buttons were used. You know, yeah. So it was very much sort of like a trendsetter for its day. And it was, it was, and and I think what was most impactful about it was that it was this really huge world. You know, you had a big sense that you could go anywhere and do anything and there was a lot to explore and a lot of corners to hunt through and discover but it was still very traditionally zelda it still had yeah dungeons you know you're still the hero you know there's still characters to interact with and items to collect and you know it's that classic thing of you know as you progress through the game you get an item in a dungeon that you use to complete puzzles in that dungeon and then you yeah. move on to another one and you know very typical sort of zelda rpg adventure game they very much wanted to get a link to the past's feeling of well, and the original Zelda, in fairness, on, mm. on uh, the NES, that sense of freedom, that sense yeah. of sort of like go where you want, even though it's still, it's still sort of like handhold, not handhold, but sort of like pushing you down one direction, sort of thing to yes. get get to the end of the game. Yeah, you still feel like you can kind of adventure and go wherever you want, and. Maybe going back now, playing Ocarina of Time, you probably feel that less. Even if you'd never played the game before, you probably feel that less now compared to like current open world sandboxy style games. Yeah. But back then, like in 1998, when you first played it, and you were especially when you left um, the Kikiri Forest and went onto the mm-hmm. Hyrule, Hyrule Field, and it's just this massive expanse, which yeah. you're like, wow, I have this whole place to explore, and yeah. no one can tell me I can't. <laughs> and the other thing is that it has a double whammy of that because you play through the game and you, um, you know, you you work your way through three dungeons, and it it, it feel for for those three dungeons as as Child Link, it feels very kind of typical Zelda, um, and you're like, okay, I know what's going to happen next, sort of thing. Like it's like I'm going to get the Master Sword, and then there's going to be more dungeons to do, and that kind of thing. But then it introduces the whole 
time traveling mechanic and the mm-hmm. fact that you have adult and child link and you can swap between them and things that you do impact you know things that you do as child link impacts stuff in adult link and just all of that that the amount of possibilities that that opens up and now you have the whole same world again to explore in a different timeline that sense of like oh my god there's so much to do sort of thing is just mm, was just yeah. crazy and it, i think it was really neat for a lot of people to say being able to going back into time and then sort of affecting those things and that that felt like you had an impact on the world a bit more than just simply solving a puzzle yeah uh it made everything feel like you had a bit more urgency yeah even though you had no urgency (laughs) and that's really interesting because by comparison majora's mask is such a different game um like if you if you kind of pretended like they weren't zelda games and you you talked to someone that didn't know anything about them they'd say that they're completely different games by, by almost made by different people sort of thing yeah because by comparison it's majora's mask is a much more compact world because i I originally i've written smaller in the notes but it's not smaller in fairness it's possibly larger overall yeah but everything's much more kind of compacted and dense so there's a lot less sort of like i don't want to say dead space because that's that sounds kind of negative towards ocarina but there's a lot less sort of like expanse to explore and it's more sort of like here's this thing and then next door to this thing is this thing and Clock Town is a perfect example of that. That's like the main hub of the game because everything's so densely packed and everyone shares different spaces and stuff like that. Um, Characters kind of like interact with each other all over the place. Um, And it also, it kind of strays away from the traditional Zelda um, kind of structure, I suppose, sort of like its traditional tropes. I think the only game at that point that had really done that was sort of maybe Link's Awakening uh, in the idea that it wasn't about Hyrule at all. Mm. well not really at least anyway and it wasn't really about princess zelda either in fact it wasn't at all yeah you know it, it, it and it explored some quite i want to say dark themes but it definitely explored some some maybe like less child-friendly you know high fantasy style themes because it you know it looked at things like death and depression and sort of healing and accepting that certain things can't be healed that kind of thing because mm. like all the idea is is that all the masks are sort of like you are taking on the burden of that soul aren't you yeah it's you're right i think that it is a big departure in that sense you know it's still that typical you're doing side quests and you're helping people but there is a lot more uh, there is a lot more darkness to it like especially when you think about you know, the the whole premise of the game is that the world is going to end in three days and yeah. there's nothing, there's basically nothing you can do to stop it. And in fact, the world almost, you know, basically kind of nearly does end multiple times. And it's interesting because it still has that same time traveling in a way in yeah. that, you know, you still have the ocarina of time and you can move through time, but it's used... It's interesting, like you said, that there's no sense of urgency. There is, you feel like there's urgency, even though there isn't in Ocarina of Time, mm. because you have that time travel mechanic a little bit. But in Majora's Mask, you actually do have that urgency yeah, because there's definitely. like a real clock. <laughs> there's a real clock there, and then as it gets closer and closer to the timeline, it starts ticking and it starts bonging, and the the moon is getting a lot bigger in the sky, and it, it just makes you feel like not rushed. Because the game is long enough, or rather the, the cycle is long enough that you don't feel rushed, but also that you can't just do whatever you want all the time. You can't just kind of be leisurely. You have to go, right, I now need to go to this place and do this thing. Yeah. Uh, and it gives you just, it just makes things seem a li- little bit more important. And it makes you feel like you, you're, you are on a mission rather than a, a stroll. 
Yeah, definitely. And just the world as a whole just feels a lot more alive. Like, I felt like like in Ocarina, it was just you and everyone else is just sort of there to orbit you. Whereas in Majora's Mask, it, it does a great job of making you aware of the fact that there are other communities and there are other people and they all have their own lives. And I don't even just mean in Clock Town, if you think of all the different areas that you visit, all have like a, a kind of community and they all have their own problems. And although you can affect some of those problems, at the end of the day, they don't stay fixed either sort of thing, especially when you reset the time. Yeah. Um, you know, those problems go back and there's nothing you can do about that like, every time you reset it. So just the world as a whole just feels a lot more sort of alive and less about you directly, which almost kind of adds to that sense of hopelessness and fear of the, the, the world ending that you can't really stop it except for resetting time. I didn't mean to get so sort of like in-depth in themes of Majora's Mask there. I was more <laughs> just interested in talking about the uh, the features of it. Hmm. But we've already touched on some of these things already, but I mean, why do we love these games particularly? The things that I particularly like about Ocarina of Time, I mean, some of it we've actually already talked about, you know, the fact that it was, yeah. I think it introduced Zelda to a lot of people because Definitely. there was such a big gap between the last mainline, you know, Link to the Past and then Ocarina of Time. And also it was actually really quite hyped for a for mm-hmm. a game of that kind of time and that generation you know because it was in development for basically as long as the n64 was around this zelda game was going to come out <laughs> well i think that the 64 came out in 1996 didn't it yeah. and then this wasn't until kind of like late 98 so yeah. you think the n64 had been around and it had an established player base by this point when it came out so they could hype it up yeah yeah, exactly. Rather than relying on it to sell the console, they were kind of relying on the console's player base to sort of invest in this big new game. Mm, yeah, exactly. And I think mainly the thing, it really was just seeing that huge world and being able to explore that huge world. And I know that it's something actually that you, when we were discussing this before, you said like you, you weren't necessarily that keen on the dungeons in Ocarina of Time or that mm. some of them weren't so memorable. But for me, I actually think that the blend of puzzling and you know and item gathering and going into the dungeons was ocarina of time's real strong points you know exploring mm. those dungeons and solving all the puzzles and you know and, and finding all the hidden collectibles um in the world was particularly a strong part of ocarina of time it, even like the fact that you had some optional items you know like the magic items uh, like din's fire and Feroz wind yeah. and, you know you could play the game without collecting those but they were still really great and they really helped you in some of the later dungeons and and they were rewarding for players that did the exploration yeah exactly you know it felt you felt like there was always it had that level of magic that meant that you felt like there was always more to explore or there was something Mm -hmm. that you hadn't found yet you know and if you just explored a little bit more you would find another secret another thing you know because that world felt like there was so much in it and so much to to find essentially I th- and I think that that is just a, a testament really to, you know, the great world building that they did with, with Ocarina of Time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it feels a very... Like, I remember the first time I played Ocarina of Time, I remember being genuinely distraught about having to leave the Kikiri Forest, mm. but also being really excited about the fact that, oh, I'm not there anymore. I'm not constrained by this relatively small village. I can now go and do what I want. 
Uh, and that's a great feeling because it makes you want to explore the game rather than just being right. It's now time for me to go and do this bit of the game. Mm. And maybe, and I think the, I say maybe definitely part of that is down to the fact that I was younger when I played the game. I mean, I would have been like what, 12, 13, mm. um, you know, so I would have been younger when I first played the game, but like, it still had that effect on me. Nonetheless, that is probably one of the biggest reasons I think it gets so much love uh, is because it, it, every, I think everyone felt that I really do. Yeah, I think you're right. And I, uh... And I do sometimes worry that it is a little bit like it is a little bit rose tinted glasses with Ocarina of Time. I mean, to some Mm -hmm. extent with both of these games, because both of the games, if you actually play them now, you know, on the N64, there's a lot about them that is really, um, you know, like the the graphics are really quite bad. And some of the, you know, some of the camera work and some of the sort of controls are a little bit clunky in places and the platforming can be a little bit cumbersome and item. You know, there's a lot of technical things about it that actually are a little bit you know, not super ideal, mm-hmm. but actually it, what's interesting is one of the things that I really like about Ocarina of Time is the fact that it was remade on 3DS Yes, <laughs> because the 3DS remake is without a doubt the best way to play Ocarina of Time. Do not play mm. the N64 version. Do not play it on Virtual <laughs> Console because it, it's not as good as you think it is. No, ex- exactly. And if you've never played it before, you're going to you, it, you're going to find it actually quite difficult to play. I remember when I played master quest on the gamecube and that's only one generation you know one generation up and it took me quite a lot of playtime before i felt okay with how like clunky and how slow and you know it feels like you're moving through mud all the time (laughs) especially by comparison to playing the games that were on the gamecube at the time like uh mario sunshine exactly oh and wind waker of course (laughs) yeah so i think the 3ds remake is really you know they they really dial up the graphics and it's runs at a really smooth high frame rate Mm. i think it may even be 60 frames per second all the menus move faster it's just Mm. really really good and there is also a majora's mask remake on the 3ds of course yeah yeah which i'm ashamed to say i haven't played like i I own a 3ds and i actually haven't played it like the most recent time i played through uh majora's mask was was on an emulator Mm. And I, I still really enjoyed it, but I think you're right in the sense that I'd probably enjoy it even more if I played through the remake, because it probably does fix some of the other little, like, nag, nagging bugs as well. There's actually, there's there's some really interesting, like, some of the other things that, that, that it fixes on the remake is, like, it makes the notebook better. Like, the notebook is yeah. actually more useful. Well, that's interesting, because that's one of the things that I really love about Majora's Mask, is the fact that there is so much to kind of keep track of that the game designers went, we're going to give you a way of keeping track of it. Uh, yes. And that's great because there's so much content there. But I must admit, the notebook was really obtuse. Like, yeah. it wasn't easy to understand at all, like, the way it was laid out. And I guess it made sense to the designers. <laughs> but I don't know if maybe that part of the game didn't get QA'd enough. I don't know. Because mm. it, it feels so cumbersome to try and use. And I just found it easy to just remember things rather than trying to use this this diary kind of notebooky system. Yeah. But nonetheless, like, I really loved in Majora's Mask the fact that there is all that content there and there is this sort of sense that and I've already touched on it I suppose that, that the world is going on around you no matter what and that's sort of given to you both for the people's actions but also the fact that the time is genuinely ticking and there's like a day night cycle and things like that and certain things only happen at certain times of day or on certain days etc and again this is kind of going back to the sort of I played it when I was younger and the rose tinted glasses things, but it's something that will never go away. I suppose for for me playing it back then was that it felt more grown up. 
it felt like sort of like a, an, an adult's version of this of, of Zelda. Mm. It's a bit darker. It's a little bit creepier in places. It, it's it's not harder by any means. Like I, I think the difficulty is pretty much the same, really. Oh, that's a good. You know, I don't know because having played it a bit more recently, I think Majora's Mask is really, really, really tough. Really, I think most of the dungeons are okay. Apart from the final one, which is hard as nails. Actually, yeah, I do remember the stone tower being quite difficult. <laughs> it's really difficult. Um, uh, because it has that um, that flipping effect, doesn't it? You've got to like flip yes. the, the, the tower around. Oh, and then you've got to use all, the, uh, all, all the, the statues that you can create of yourself. Yeah. So, uh, but it, it just felt like your dad's Zelda <laughs> if that makes sense yeah and, and that just kind of felt cool mm. so that's definitely one thing that kind of always resonates with me as a result of me it always feels like a more grown-up version of Zelda which I guess is what they also tried to do with Twilight Princess as well like a more grown-up version but I feel like Majora's Mask weirdly did a better job of being a little bit more mature especially with some of those more yeah. mature themes like we already touched on yeah definitely and I think that a lot of that comes from the fact that in Majora's Mask you there's so much interaction with people right there's mm-hmm. so much there's so many side quests like the game is basically built around side quests you know as well as the, as well as its four dungeons yeah because actually you know ocarina of time had eight dungeons and you know it's something that you said is that they're not necessarily super you know super memorable whereas in majora's mask there are only really four main dungeons and then there's sort mm-hmm. of a whole bunch of mini dungeons and I think that's part of what made the game feel smaller as well, because it's like, oh, there are only four dungeons. There's not eight yeah. like there were in Ocarina of Time. But there's more content in Majora's Mask, in my opinion, because yeah. there are so many side quests. Like, yeah, definitely. It just It's astounding how many side quests and how much there is going on in Majora's Mask. And some of them are quite small and yeah. sort of like, you know, they're fun or kind of a little bit goofy. Like, for example, the protecting the, the ranch from the alien attack. Like, oh, you know, yeah, yeah. it only lasts the one night, so it doesn't take that long, but it's still kind of goofy. Mm. But then it kind of, in that one in particular as well, that, that spans into something that's a bit darker as well, because the older sister's trying to protect the younger sister from the fact that the earth's going to fall, so the moon's going to fall and destroy everything. So she's getting a bit melancholy about that. And then on the final night, they're like, let's kind of like, you know, just huddle in bed together. She gives her the like special milk that only adults can have, right? And it's actually exactly. like she's and the idea is it's supposed to be sister. kind of a bit alcoholic and make her not feel as much sort of thing, despite because yeah. it's all going to go wrong. And and it's interesting because those side quests start out seemingly very typically Zelda and then they kind of kind of go off into another direction that you didn't really expect. Yeah, definitely. But then some side quests are, are, are huge and they require the entire three days. Like the, the biggest one is the is the marriage side quest with, um, is it, is it Ka- Kafka? Kafka? Is that his name? I forget. Um, yeah, and, Kaf- and like Kafe, it's K-A-F-E-I. That's the Cafe and Anju. And yeah. Anju, yeah. And it's like, it's like they're all about their sort of like marriage going wrong because he's been turned into a child via the uh by the skull kid yes uh, by the majora's mask and it's all about you so trying to help them get back together at the you know but they get to be together for such a short period of time because well when they finally do get together together it's like an hour before the moon's gonna fall and just can kill them yes and you feel really kind of like bittersweet it's like oh brilliant I, i've got these two people back together and i finished this quest but now they're going to die because i don't have time to go and save the earth yeah <laughs> and also that side quest is you know on the subject of difficulty you know that side quest is really really tough yes and it takes a long time and you have to do it perfectly otherwise you have to start mm-hmm. again 
and there's multiple kind of things you have to do and you'll do it and realize that you don't have an available item or right the right mask or something to do it properly so you have to kind of restart feeling oh my god but it's never too bad because it's not like too too hard to get to the right thing because they give you things like the the time mechanics skip mechanics to speed time up or slow time down yeah that is in my opinion the strength of of majora's mask is the fact that we've just had a discussion about one quest within the game rather than the game itself and yeah. the game itself is a shorter feeling game because of the four dungeons and sort of like a more intimate nature but that's its strength as too in my opinion too yeah agreed agreed and i think that ocarina of time you know if you could take the side quests of majora's mask and drop them into ocarina of time like that would just be if you had that on top in in mm. ocarina of time i think that that would be amazing and maybe to some extent wind waker actually is a little bit more yeah, like Yeah, Wimaker tries to do a bit both. and Because mm. I think Ocarina of Time would maybe feel too busy if you do try to do everything in Majora's Mask as well. Because mm. Ocarina is almost more of a traditional sort of like quest to save the princess feel. Yes, true. And it's a little bit more directed. It feels like more of a, a traditional story, whereas Majora's Mask is like a, a meander through people's lives rather than about you. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I guess... Very I, different feel. I guess it's that kind of like... The fact that it does feel like the game feels quite empty and quite sort of devoid yeah. of people because everything is so it is a huge world and it is spread out, but there's not a lot of people in it. <laughs> no, there's not. And the only places there are are some of the like, the, the villages like uh, Kakariko Village and the mm. Goron Mountain and stuff like that. And one of the things that because going on the other side of the coin is that Majora's Mask is sometimes maybe a little bit. I've used the word already. It's kind of obtuse in places. Like it's a little bit overly complicated. Oh my god! Yes. Uh, like to accomplish certain things require certain mask, and to get that mask, you've got to have this mask, and to have that mask, you'd have completed this dungeon on this day. And it's all memorable. Like you can master it, but it's not immediately simple enough to get. This is kind of what I meant when I was saying about how I think that Majora's Mask is harder because when I played yeah. the remake. I was like, how did, like, how are you meant to do this without a guide knowing, like, some <laughs> of these really obscure things that you need to do? Yeah, like the second day at 3 a, at three p.m., you've got to go here and stand here and watch this thing happen. Right. And, and some of that is, like, main story progression is, like, mm-hmm. weirdly obscure. And this is, you know, you've written it here in, in our notes, which I think is, is perfect, is the game design could be tighter. <laughs> like yeah. like I think yeah, Ocarina definitely. it's like they they took a backward step in that sense because I yeah. think in Ocarina of Time you are very well guided while still feeling like you can do anything and you can explore mm-hmm. Majora's Mask you feel like you can explore and you also have absolutely no idea where to go <laughs> and that's almost compounded by the fact that you have no idea where to go but you have this impending time limit on you yeah the moon coming crashing down which adds to the stress now that's cool from a design point of view if you're going to analyze the game but from a gamer's point of view especially if it's the first time you've ever played it it's kind of stressful yeah definitely so i think both games could definitely take kind of tips from each other Mm. and i feel like you you do mention it as well that games like wind waker our favorite game um (laughs) (laughs) kind of did take those tips Mm. and although it has some problems with it especially the original release i feel like it did master the things that it it, both of those two games before it brought to the table yeah i agree and i think what's you have to remember like you said right at the start that majora's mask was made in a really really short space of time yeah and to think that you've got this really, really complex game that's really, you know, doing something quite quite different to all the other Zelda games, definitely different to Ocarina of Time and also different to Wind mm. Waker. To have that game, you know, 
thrown in the middle there you can really forgive some of those game design flaws because yeah. of the fact that you've you've got this game at all it's just kind of like wow to think that that is something that they did in that short mm. space of time it's just really really impressive and so you know i think from that point of view it's it, it is to be applauded even if at some points it's not perfectly formed yeah you can hardly blame it definitely no i i think you hit the nail on the head there i think of its time i think ocarina of time is just objectively the better game mm. but i think in hindsight they both suffer but at least majora's mask is almost more interesting yeah exactly it's kind of like if you take majora's mask out then it's a like a linear sort of like thing getting better in the sense that you've got like link to the past ocarina of time wind waker you know all learning from each other yeah. majora's mask sort of like is this real outlier in that it sort of learns yeah. but also takes some backward steps but also tries some things completely different that none of it the was others sort of the do. art house project for the nintendo team yeah it is a bit isn't it <laughs> um which is why it's cool because it's edgy <laughs> yeah definitely definitely <laughs> but yeah i mean they're both amazing games and they're both worth playing yeah. it's not a, something i would argue with you over but mm. we like and that's what i think we've we've managed to capture this episode is that they're both fantastic games we're not saying that one isn't or one is better than the other but we like them for different reasons mm. and they both bring something very different to the table yeah definitely and and you can I think you can play one without playing the other, really. Like, you could play Majora's yeah. Mask or, and you could, or, and not OOT, or you could play just Ocarina of Time, and, and it would be fine, actually. Um, but yeah. if you are going to play them and you haven't, like, if you're, if you're listening to this and you're like, okay, fine, I will play one <laughs> of these damn games, then definitely play them on a 3DS. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I can't that's stress it that's enough sort of the definitive version, I would say. Yeah, definitely. And if you haven't, and you you have done as a result of listening to us talk about them, you think they sound really, really cool, then definitely let us know mm. and let us know what version of it you played. Or if you think we're totally wrong and you think that we've kind of gone off the rails and chosen rubbish. Well, okay, can't say rubbish, but certainly not the best Zelda games. Um, I mean, Ocarina of Time was like the number one, literally objectively the number one game for a long time, wasn't it? Like it was for the highest time, rating yeah. game ever. Um, so you defi- it's definitely not rubbish. No. <laughs> But like, oh, and obviously don't don't moan at us because we haven't played Breath of the Wild. We'll we'll do that at some point. We will, I'm sure. We will, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, let us know what you think. Yeah, definitely. You can email us at show at octal.fm or you can come and tweet us. We're at octal.fm on Twitter. You can leave a review on whatever it is that you're listening on right now to say you know you can put your Zelda thoughts in your review if you want. Uh, that's okay. Yeah. Uh, do you can reach us however you wish. And yeah, it'd be really interesting to hear if you have a, a different Zelda game that you think is amazing. Maybe you're a massive Twilight Princess fan or Skyward Sword or I don't know. They're, mm. just, they're just all really well, that's good. that's controversial. Yeah, they're just all really good. But yeah, do get in touch with us and let us know. And hopefully you've enjoyed us yeah. rambling a little bit about two of our, frankly, like favorite games of all time, I would say. Yeah, both definitely. Of, both yeah. Of them Majora's Mask is definitely up there for me, particularly. Yeah, like it's 100%. the one I was... Whenever I'm asked, like, what's your favorite Zelda game? It's That's the one I kind of go to mm. straight away if I'm not... I think Wind Waker is kind of better, but I think Majora's Mask is just my favourite. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so uh, hopefully you've enjoyed this, and uh, I have been Gelada. And I have been Seferin. And catch us again for another episode of Octal FM very soon. Have you got a pun ready? I was thinking maybe about like using the Song of Time or something yeah, to it's like, the episode um, and listen to it again. Catch us again another time. No, catch us again. And again, and again, and again. And again. Catch us. Um, we will... The next episode will be unmasked in your hey. in your podcast player very soon. So you you um. beat me to it this time. I like it. <laughs>
I can just see this going in the, the little like outtakes at the end of the show. It's like as the music is fading. <laughs> exactly, the music's already fading. It's like, oh, here are the puns. Yeah. Here we go. Ocarina of Time has has eight dungeons um, and what was you okay? Oh, okay. sorry, Tony just sneezed and I was like, what what is going on? Are you trying to hold it in?